So as we've been continuing with the doctrine series, and you've probably been reminded uh, about the importance of actually doctrine and theology, and why it's so important, uh, because how we think about God and how we think about us in this world uh, really affects how we live out our world uh, here in the here and now. It's really particularly important that for us to really understand who God is, particularly uh, when things don't go so well and when uh, life circumstances come our way. If we have a sure understanding of who God is and who we are, um, we can stand firm. And so it's important today that we come to know what the Bible says about the nature and function of church. Because our doctrine and our theology of the church will shape how we see each other as we see each other each Sunday uh, and during the week, and how we actually live out our church's community's life. And so today I'll talk about five important aspects of the church, and that's outlined in the outline that you have. And I'll be going through different parts of the Bible, so I do have a Bible open and handy. And for each of the five aspects of church, uh, each aspect will be worked out or made visible by a mark or an indicator for us to see and discern what a biblical and healthy church is. And also for each aspect, there will also be an application for us today, uh, for us to live out our nature and function as the church. So I'll start off by saying what the church isn't. And the first point is that the church is not a building. Um, This building is quite amazing. And Luke kind of gave me a brief outline of the history um, that the walls are actually made from the actual sandstone from the ground um, and it is built like a rock. And it's actually important for us to preserve uh, this church building into the future. But at the same time, it's not the church. The church is God's people that actually meet in the building. So the building is important because it houses God's people, but in and of itself, it's not the church. If we didn't meet here, it would just be a mere building. There's actually nothing spiritual about the building in and of itself. But when we come together, there is spiritual life, because as the church gathered, we come to worship God, and God is present with us. The second point is, the church is not a club. So church is not a, a social uh, meeting where we merely socialize and come together uh, to share mutual hobbies and interests, perhaps chess or a sport or some sort. And yes, the church does have fellowship. We do meet new people uh, and we do do life together, but there's more to that than just fellowship. And as we'll see, church has a grand purpose of participating in God's mission and functions to build each other up in Christ. The church is also not a business. And this last point is, I think, where Christian churches are tempted and run the risk of being. See, from the perspective of members, church is not a place where we put money in the bag and we receive spiritual goods and services. See, church is not like a retail outlet where we can uh, buy spiritual blessings and things like that. And at the same time, from the leadership's perspective, church is not where we make a profit from using people and using the church's resources for self-gain. See, no, church is, as the children's talk 
has showed is where we receive and invited to receive God's grace absolutely free. And as a response of that free grace from God, we are willingly and joyfully give up all of our lives to serve God and to serve each other. See, church is not where we take from each other and nor where we profit from each other, but it's where we serve and give out to each other. So the first point of what church is, church is God's mission of redeeming his people. See, the church is a wonderful result of God's mission of redeeming and gathering his own people. And the way God does that is through his word. If you turn to Luke 24, so the last chapter of Luke, from verses 44 to 47, it says this, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see, what Jesus is saying is that the entire Bible is written about him, written about Jesus as the coming Messiah who would die on the cross to be the atoning sacrifice of our sins, to be raised again, to have eternal life, so that those who believe in him may also be forgiven of sins and also receive eternal life. And so this is God's mission of speaking out this gospel message that the entire Bible testifies to, and it is his way of saving his people. If you turn to Romans 10, verses 8 to 10, it says this, But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so as the word of God is preached, as the gospel message of Christ is proclaimed, As people respond in belief and confess that he is the Lord, people are saved and the church is created. And so we, the church, are as a result of God's proclaiming word of his saving grace in Jesus Christ. And that was the story for me. Uh, I was studying uh, at University of New South Wales doing my Bachelor of Commerce and I was doing kickboxing actually uh, on Sunday afternoons. And whilst I was studying there, I got to know some Christian friends. And they brought me to campus Bible study. And that's where I got to hear um, the scriptures preached. And every part of the Bible passage that I heard was about Jesus Christ. And so I got to know about his death and resurrection. But I didn't actually decide to make a commitment to Christ. It was actually one Sunday afternoon when I was waiting in Stratford Station out in the Fountain area. There was uh, one guy... He was doing walk-up evangelism. His church was kind of doing a bit of an open worship, singing songs to the public, and they were going around sitting to people. And I was waiting for a friend uh, to ironically wait for him to go to a church hall to do some kickboxing on a Sunday afternoon. 
uh, a guy called Kim came, approached me and uh, shared the gospel message. And I said, yeah, I've been learning about this at university. And he just said one simple question. He says, what are you waiting for? And there and there, that Sunday afternoon, I weighed things up. Uh, life my way or free grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And I decided it makes sense to follow Jesus. And there and there, I was saved. And so that is what God is doing. He is creating his church by spreading and preaching and teaching the gospel message. And so that is a key mark of the church. Preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching of the gospel in all of scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is central to church because that is the power that saves people. That is the power that creates the church and that is the power that grows the church. And so for the application for us today as people of the church is to obey the teachings of Christ and to also invite and share the gospel message to others uh, because we get to participate in God's mission, his gospel mission to create the church here in this world. The second point is that the church is God's people, his holy people. So God's mission is to redeem and save his people, to be set apart, to be a holy people that is in relationship with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? You see, the temple was where God used to dwell. In the first century Jews, for people to come to God, they actually had to travel far, far away to come to the temple. And on top of that, once they got to the temple, they actually had to make animal sacrifices for them to be cleansed of their sins in order so they can actually enter the presence of God. But the thing is, they they didn't get completely close to God because there was this curtain which marked out the most holy place. So as they've travelled perhaps all day, they've made all these sacrifices to God, they can only come close to God, uh, but not actually with him and dwell with him. But this passage, Paul says to the Corinthian church, you are God's temple because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that is an absolutely radical change because Christians now get to access God not through a geographical temple. We don't have to travel to Israel to access God. We can access God through the Holy Spirit who dwells in each and every one of us. And that's only because of Jesus' death on the cross because we are no longer separated by sin. That's done and made right by Jesus Christ. His death was the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. And so we can be made right and we can be called holy and righteous. And not only that, God's Holy Spirit dwells in us and we are now in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit's indwelling of us as a church community. And so for us, we no longer need to uh, bring in lambs and slaughter it here. Uh, at church um, no the New Testament tells us that we through grace and mercy of God we are now called to be 
living sacrifices for him. And our whole life, uh, not in just in this building, as we go out into our workplaces, um, we are also to live holy and pleasing to God. And so the, the mark of the church is that God's people, the community, are to be holy. Uh, we are to strive to live a culturally different uh, lifestyle to the people around us. But the thing is, we're not completely holy, are we? We're both still sinners, uh, and yet at the same time we're still called saints. And so there's a love-hate tension. We love God, but we also hate sin, and we fight it day by day. So what does it look like for a, a holy church community here and now? Yes, we are to live differently, but I also think a key mark is also repentance. That's when we acknowledge sin, own up to it, confess it, and put away our sinful ways and put on holy living. And so that should be a mark of the church's community, both in, I think, in the leadership, but also in our daily, everyday lives. Because too often when someone confesses sin, what's our instant reaction? My instant reaction is just like, oh, that's okay, um, that's fine, that's, that's normal, because uh, I can see that I've also struggled with that, so it's not a big deal. And so we're afraid to confess of sin, because somehow we still want to be self-righteous and look good to God and to others. But the thing is, with God's mercy, that He's graced us, that we're no longer needing to feel guilty, we confess sin to him openly and to each other. And I think that's a real mark of a holy church, a church that is repentant and open to each other. So it says this in Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 14. It says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. So we come together for, yes, to fellowship, to study God's word, but this passage says we come together so that we can speak out of the sin in each other's lives because sin has this blinding effect. And as a community, the reasons why we are encouraged to meet is to speak out of those things and speak uh, God's word in love so that they will not be deceived by their sinful actions which will result to hardening of hearts. Because physical blindness is, is in of itself difficult, but I reckon spiritual blindness is even worse. Why is that? Because physical blind people actually know they're actually physically blind. And so they adapt and adjust to um, continue living life in their blindness. But spiritual blindness, why it's worse is because you're blinded to the fact that you're even blind. And so we need others to speak into our lives, bring God's word to bear in each other, so that we don't deceive ourselves in our own sin. Number three, the church is Christ's body. We're many in one. So another image of the church is the body of Christ. We, the church, are Christ's body and Christ is our head. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 
12 to 14. The body is a unit, we've read before. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit into the one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all given the one spiritual drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. See, when we become a Christian, um, we're not only just made to be God's holy temple through the Spirit, but it's also through the Spirit that we're united in Christ. So we're united in Christ in the sense that we're united in His death and resurrection, which means that we have new life in Christ. We put to death our old lives and we are given new life where Jesus is our head. We lovingly and joyfully submit to him. But we also united not into just Christ, we're also united to his body. And so we're united to uh, different people who are united uh, under the lordship of Christ. And so we're united together in Christ with a diversity of parts. And so next Saturday, I'm going to be united with Amy. And as you can see, we're quite different. I'm Asian, she's Maltese Australian. I was uh, schooled here and went to university. She was homeschooled on the mission field in the Ukraine. Another big difference is that I have an uncanny uh, ability to know in my head where I'm going throughout all of Sydney, uh, whereas Amy um, gets lost even at the church camp we were in on Saturday. And so we're different, but we're called to be united, uh, to be one. And as I've been going through uh, premarital counselling, speaking to a lot of ministers, uh, the one question they ask me is, are you ready to give up your singleness? And it baffles me because I'm like, yeah, I'm engaged. But I've realised at the heart of that question, the reason why they're asking, are you ready to give up your singleness, is that they're asking the question, are you willing to give up your autonomy as a single guy? Because the, as become united with Amy, I'm no longer a self-autonomous person. I actually discovered I actually have to communicate and let her know uh, what I want to do and what we should do. And so that's the same thing as we're united in Christ. We're united with each other as we're united in Christ. And so no longer are we autonomous beings who can make decisions for ourselves, but we also need to consider the whole body. And just as Amy and I are united to each other to not only live independently, but now to serve each other, and so in the union of Christ as his body, we're called to to serve and love each other and be considerate of each other, because we're now one body under the Lordship of Christ. And so I guess the mark of a church is unity of diversity. And it's encouraging to see here today, there's just a great diversity of people. There's um, a lot older people than I, and there's also a lot younger people than I. Uh, But we're all united in Christ. And that is something that we should celebrate, uh, because that is what God wants to see in his church. uh, That there are different people, but we can actually love and serve each other. And so an application for us is that the church is to submit to Christ's headship and authority, but also to embrace and love others who particularly are different to you because we are one 
body and we are to serve each other in a diversity of members. The next point is that church is Christ's gift, love and service. And just just as we are different members of the one body, Christ has given us different gifts to different people to serve each other as one body. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4, says there are different kinds of gifts, but there are same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And it continues on and lists out, as the Bible reading has, all different kinds of gifts. And so for us, we see that the church is gifted um, of gifts of leadership. So some people, some members of uh, this body are called to lead. Uh, and so elders are a gift to the church. Leadership is a gift to the church. But there are other gifts where everyone, all of us, can be involved in serving and loving each other. Because Christ has given us a, a whole host of variety of different gifts. A gifts of mutual service and the ultimate goal of both leadership and individual gifts to serve each other is for love and building each other up. So leadership is to be loving service. Any other gifts that you do and serve the church is to also love and build each other up. And so the mark of the church is that we are to serve one another. Church is not a place like a business where only certain people minister spiritual goods and services, but no, we're not meant to be passive consumers. We're meant to be active body members to serve and love each other. Um, because we are his spirit-filled, gifted body. My last point is, and I think this is a beautiful point, church is God's children. Let me read to you this. Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. If you do have your Bibles, do, do have it open. So it's Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but to receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the same spirit which makes us as God's temple, the same spirit that makes us as Christ's body and his gift also makes us as God's own sons. And the implication of this is that we get to call God Abba, our Father. We don't have a distant God. We have a personal God who we can personally relate to him. It means the church has a personal relationship with God. And not only this, as his children, we have an inheritance. Now it's interesting to read that the passage says that we are sons of God. Yes, both female are children of God, we're both sons and daughters of God, but I want to stress the emphasis that The specific use of sons is not that he's trying to exclude females. He's speaking to all. But the idea of sonship is important. Because back then, a son was a natural heir to the father's inheritance. 
And so if you were a direct son, you were first in line to the father's inheritance. And so what this passage is emphasizing as we as the sons of God is means that we're adopted, we're not even his natural offspring, we've been adopted, children who have actually been rebellious, who've hated God, denied God, but in his grace has adopted us to have a personal relationship with him, but also to receive his eternal inheritance. And so there's two specific marks of the church. The church is hopeful because there is an internal inheritance waiting for us. And in today we can call God our Father. And so the application is this. Because we can call God our Father means we're a prayerful church. We don't do it because of habit, but because we're in a relationship with Him. And so a biblical church is a prayerful church that speaks to our Heavenly Father. And a church is hopeful despite whatever else is going on, despite the election and the mayhem there, despite what's going overseas in Egypt, the church can be a hopeful community because we're promised an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, and we get to be co-heirs with Christ. As for us, that is a mark of hope to this world uh, and particularly to this community here in Balmain. So to summarise, the church is God's mission. Preaching the gospel is, is central. The church is the holy temple of God. We get to be in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. We don't have to travel far. We can experience God and his presence here today as we open up his word as he fills us with his Holy Spirit. The church is Christ's body. We're meant to be united and have different variety of people and serve each other. There's meant to be a variety of gifts that Christ gives to the church and we are ultimately God's children. So I hope that you've been encouraged with who we are in God. May that inspire, encourage you, warm your soul that God is doing a supernatural work uh, in our community. And our mission is to embrace more and more people, uh, to experience God, to come to a saving faith in Him, uh, and ultimately to be His children.